1: This show is brought to you by
2: The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Yeah. Guys. It's the end of the year, and who could I be with but Aaron Goff, ladies and gentlemen? You owe all, all of you, owe him money. You all watch his videos, and you all owe him money. Before we get, to, before we get, to, and tell the truth, you're sitting there sweating, knowing that you owe, you, you owe him some money or something. You better sit tight. You know, and we'll get to you next.
1: I'll put my Venmo link in the in the episode. Next, you, you know? There
2: you go. First, first things first. <laughs> I want to thank my sponsors. You guys have been with me for a long time, and I just want to I want to just get you thank you properly. Number one is. Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. This is an awesome grinder for knife makers or metal workers. If you're removing material, this is the stuff for you. They've been with me from day one. Vince and Ben and Ryan are fantastic. The customer service is great. The equipment's great. The parts are great. Everything is great. Go to broadbeckironworks.com. Put in the promo code KNIFETALK10. You get 10% off on everything. I can't thank them enough. They are fantastic. I appreciate supporting this podcast, and uh, it really means a lot. Next are my friends at Even Heat. Ah, oh, what a family. I tell you what, the Even Heat guys are outstanding. It's the number one manufacturer of the finest heat treat ovens available. Go check out your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Check out the tap control, the solid-state drive. Check out uh, their turn and burn. If you want to just set it and forget it, that's for you. Once again, another company. I know the family. The Great customer service. Great, great product. And I could not be more honored to be involved with Evenheat. I'm Evenheat to the day I die. Next are my friends in Australia, Nordic Edge. That's at Nordic underscore Edge. They make pro tools for knife makers. Uh, they're behind. They do uh, really awesome screw-on carbide file file guides, which I love um they've been doing all sorts of stuff for knife makers since 2015 they're based in australia if you go to nordicedge.com.au you can get all your supplies you can get all your belts all your all your tools all your handle materials you get some steel if you want to get into knife making and you maybe you just don't want to know if you want to get involved with all that stuff they have kits too so you can get yourself some of them kits and they teach classes jamie bishop's involved if sausage man's forge is involved you know it's going to be good so check out what's going on at nordic uh, nordicedge.com.au. Many thanks to Bjorn and the guys for supporting this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Next is, I just got a package from, uh, Maritime Knife Supply. It's in can, can, uh, it's Canada. maritimeknifesupply.ca Lawrence Lake, another awesome guy who's very involved in the knife-making community. He is changing, shipping of knife making supplies in Canada and the United States. He's doing an awesome job. And if you go to uh, you he'll take care of you. All your abrasives, uh, belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, primers, uh, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, steel, all that stuff. He's awesome. And uh, I really, once again, I just, I've been ordering from him lately, uh he's my he's he's i appreciate all the guys that are my sponsors i buy from too because i appreciate what they do for the knife main community and me so many thanks to uh, lawrence and go for sure go get yourself something for maritimenifesupply.com once again another one company trojan horse forge they've been the makers of the stable rail knife finishing vice sam and jeff been making these vices in the heart of texas these things are sick you can hand sand your blades in comfort you can also turn it around and you can handle you can finish your your uh your handles it's it's the number one vice around and and uh if you go to trojanorsforge.com you get promo code uh fullblast10 gets you 10% off everything including their Sentinel oil which is great stuff uh and their handle press attachment which allows you to put on a hidden tang knife a handle into the blade using the the, uh, the Trojan Horse Forge stable rail Knife Finishing Device. Many thanks to you. I'm hitting it all up. Many thanks to my friends at Baker Forge and Tool, makers of cop- Copper Mascus and Sand my Tiger Mine, Copper Mine, all these amazing exotic steels. Coy and the boys have really figured out a way to make repeatable, beautiful steel that's easy to work with for. You don't have to be a bladesmith. This is, this is perfect for stock removal. This stuff comes annealed. It's really easy to work with. It's super easy to heat treatment, heat, heat treat. And they make their proprietary uh, etchant, Gator Piss. And that stuff's amazing. I can't even get over it. They figured out how to make etchant interesting. And they named it Gator Piss. And that's hilarious. And it's But it's really dynamite stuff. So definitely go check out the boys over at Baker Forge. And if you put in the promo code... Uh, full blast! You're gonna get 10 percent off your entire order. Uh, once again, Coy and the boys, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate your great spirit. I appreciate your goofy videos, and I'm all in on Shrogy- I'm all in on uh, Baker Forge. Want well, to thank my friends at Total Boats, makers of paints, paints, adhesive primers, polishing compounds. I use their two-part epoxy for handle scales. I really, really like it uh, very much. And if you go to totalboat.com/fullblast, you can get yourself an affiliate code and get yourself some of that too uh what can you say keith East and derek from Alden, keith johnson keith mitchell and uh, jimmy duress are all using total boat so i like the total boat very much and you will too so check it out next is my friends at gl hansen and sons makers of g carta this is a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat the stuff is amazing it he basically makes his loaf with colored fabrics and resins and heat and everything like that and then he cross-cuts it, and it looks like pieces of, I mean, it's amazing. It's like if you want something really special and you just you just need, you know, maybe you don't want to do it yourself and you were looking for something really dynamite, the G-Carta is really good. So go to gcarta.bigcartel.com. G.L. Hansen Sons makes this stuff. It's really, really awesome stuff. Get the BOFA, Ripple Cut Tuxini by Mikey, uh, Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm G Carta, Pheasant, Colorama, Hoopla. Hoopla's my favorite. And they did a hoopla variation And I got to name Electric Fuzz, which is awesome too. So definitely many thanks to Gil Hansen and Sons. You guys are awesome. They, they send me some stuff every so often and it's really cool to work with. I love I love it and it's really kind of neat. So many thanks to my boys over at Gil Hansen and Sons at GCARTA.bigcartel.com. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank my friends at Tormac. They sent me a, a Christmas package. They sent me a box of a beautiful box with cookies and probably the nicest pen I've ever used. This pen is unbelievable. Tormek are celebrating 50 years in business with the black T8 TH sharpening system. It's a water-cooled sharpening system. The thing is awesome. Tormek.com or at Tormek underscore sharpening online on IG. I love Tormek guys. Um, I had a chance to spend some time with them in, in uh, Barcelona with Tomer Botner, quarantine kitchen knives. Awesome guys. I love the Tormac. The Tormac's made me a much better knife maker. And uh, I cannot thank my, my, my sponsors enough. You uh, make it a little easier for us to you know, keep this ball rolling, and I am very appreciative of that. So many thanks to you guys. You guys have been great. And I want to thank my next guest. I mean, when I said in the beginning, I mean it. If you've learned how to make a knife, guaranteed, if somebody says, go oh, watch a video, you have watched an Aaron Goff video. Aaron Goff is my friend. He is one of the, the premier uh, knife-making video men of all time. He is also <laughs> the maker of the Resolute Mark—what are we on, Mark 5 now? No, no, I'm still on the Mach 3. Still in the Dodge over here. The Resolute Mark 3— Thing is my favorite knife i love this thing and i'm i and i have have one and it is a dynamite aaron
1: goff how are you i'm going good thank you mate and you know i it's it's cute you think people owe me money but you know what the the community all my customers have been a huge support no one no one owes me a damn thing i'm, no, I'm very lucky to be i'm not that. saying the customers
2: I'm saying all them <laughs> flea bags who've been watching oh. your videos and making your knives. That's what I'm talking about.
1: You know what? One <laughs> day ahead. someone will copy my process start to finish. And on that day, I'll be really impressed. The, the it's gonna best, be super
2: cool. The best part is you've made it very hard to copy your process. <laughs> if You watch those <laughs> videos. See, you'll do a couple videos. Some I I mean, I tell you, I'll be I, I think I've told you this before. We've talked for quite a while now. But uh, when I first started, I was a blacksmith. And mm-hmm. then I learned with Matt Paul, who's an awesome bladesmith. I helped him teach a, black, a bladesmithing class. So I Great. thought, all right, I can do this. Because I was forging for, you know, 10 years before that. So the forging was easy. It was just like, all right, I need to do this. I need to learn how to do that. So I started watching videos. And I was watching you and Michael Trolsky. And yeah. I was like, wow, this guy is really talking very gently and making things seem very easy and you were a huge help for me in terms of uh just kind of getting to the next level of being able to learn how to make knives
1: well and we both know the truth the the truth is that it's really really not easy you know so yeah yeah. and there's a lot of people that supported me on the way up too you know so like all those blade forums posts that i spent hours reading and uh the million people that answered questions like uh you know the videos at the time were not really a conscious way to give back they were just like an extension of what I was doing but yeah you know I'm super super happy to be able to to give back and because you
2: must still get messages from people who are just like oh yeah Aaron was such a huge influence on helping me get across the finish the starting line
1: uh, well, I mean, yeah, on YouTube, I for sure, I see people saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, this video helped me get started, or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, like, it's, it's just nice. I just, I know that that, honestly, man, I, one of the funniest things that happens to me sometimes is I'll Google something, and the answer that comes up will be like a forum thread that i started where i answer the question and then i've just fucking forgotten the answer since then oh that's and hilarious that's great yeah that's love, that's love
2: a, quite a humble brag by the way that's a
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's for completely esoteric shit like know. Or, you know yeah converting a, a cnc machine to single phase or something you know but like uh, honestly, it's part of the reason why I do it. I have to externalize all these things because my memory is so bad.
2: Uh, here's a question. I want to go back to something that you said uh, a few minutes ago where you said, let's face it, this is hard. Knife making yeah, is. is hard. Yeah. I have, a, I have a... This might be a... Because this is the end of the year, we might be doing some hot takes. Bring it. I would suggest... I've said this just talking to a lot of knife makers and knowing a lot of knife makers. My history is so much different than most knife makers because... Mm-hmm. I was in metal fabrication for years before I ever made a knife. Yep. I worked in shops where we did railings and we were doing pickets and we had expectations and we also didn't like fall in love with the things that we were doing. We were just trying to figure out the most efficient ways to get things across, and then just you know you're on. I remember there were some jobs where we were we would finish we would finish a railing, the people would come to pick it up, and by the time we. It was gone. We didn't have time to even look yeah. at it. Yeah, and it, it was. I remember those days and just being like learning how to just kind of almost be a little blasé about the things you're doing. I feel as though, and I've said this about my shop when I have people come in to visit. I say I, I see my shop as a metal shop, and I have the same. I have the same mindset as when I was in metal shops, and we were getting ready to do a job or getting ready to do a fabrication job or doing a railing or something like that. I tend to think that all of it's hard. Yes. But when you get that kind of like execution callous of how you're supposed to do things, maybe yeah. it doesn't get that hard. Well, I feel like my, my experience is different than most
1: people's. That's all. And maybe oh, it's, absolutely. to me, it's not as hard as
2: it well, is you know, for other a- people.
1: I mean, I think that this is one thing that I've been kind of like, I know this at a rational level, but I feel like this year, viscerally, I've been learning that everybody's experiences are so different yeah. than our personal experiences. Yeah. And that really applies to knife making as well, or, or, you know, any, any kind of, um, craft or any, uh, skilled labor, even, you know, like you watch someone else do it and you're like, ah, it doesn't look so hard. Then you go and do it and you're like, holy crap, like you know, there's all these tiny details that you would never think of as an outsider that you have to master in order to produce the result that you want. And I think that's where the the hard part is, you know. And Anyone can whack a golf ball, but not everyone is tiger, tiger Woods. You know?
2: Well, here's the funny thing. I've been saying this on Knife Talk in here for a long time. We're in this strange world where we are comparing each other. Knife makers do compare. You know, you do compare yourself and you put yourself in the kind of like... You ultimately will pigeonhole you in in regards to kind of the pecking order of other people. Uh, What I've been (laughs) saying lately, you have to. I mean, mean, it's just like... I don't,
1: man. I I know
2: you're on a different level. I know you're on... No, and it's
1: not because of that. It's uh, one of my friends, um, Nick Frank. So he's an amazing guitar maker. He... He said this thing that's just really stuck in my head, which is uh, counting other people's money won't make you happy. Whoa! So you know, like counting, looking at somebody else's success, or like looking at somebody else's work and comparing it to yours, and being like, "Oh, I'm inferior to them," or or whatever. You know, like that's. I'm not saying it like inferior. I'm saying
2: it more along the lines of you're looking at your work and you're kind of being able to be honestly judge your work and see where you are where yeah. you should be and where
1: you could be going that's all i'm saying yeah no 100 percent. and, and I, totally, I think that that's super important man like of course that, the people that don't focus on that that it stops them from progressing of course you know?
2: and just to kind bun- of jump up onto what you were saying there's an expression where comparison is the thief of joy yeah. Which i totally I'm, I'm all i totally agree with um I don't know where I was going
1: with this, but I... (laughs) That's okay. I derailed you. That's fine. It's fine.
2: I was fine. I think that what I was basically trying to say is that experience is underrated and experience is underlooked in regards to people's personal growth and they don't realize that everything takes a long... I just turned 50. I just turned 50 and I feel great. I spent... When I turned 30, I started to kind of really invest in my health and try to work on my health yeah covid kind of threw a monkey wrench in terms of my in terms of my the drinking got a little bit heavy and the eating got a little heavy but Uh now i'm at the i'm at the i'm physically as good a shape i was when i was 20 and i really it took a long time and i and i feel as though people just are not prepared for how long Mastery
1: or even getting better at things actually takes a hundred percent a hundred percent you just i don't know I've actually been finding as I get more experienced that it's a little bit harder for me to actually start picking up a new skill because I have a really good idea of just how long it's going to take to get to a point where I'm happy with it if that makes sense like well, I feel like I don't have that naivety around that. Yeah, but you've been
2: making like the Resolute Mark IV for like eleven years. <laughs> the, only, <laughs> the only knife you make. So I mean, it's like, yeah, obviously, right? obviously, you don't, obviously, you don't like to make you will
1: know, pick up something new. No, actually, it's it's well, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, no, the the Resolute. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but the the reason that I do the Resolute and have been doing it for so many years is just because I'm not not big on like fashion, you know, especially in the case of like uh, an outdoors knife you know, it's a tool, I, unless I make some, like, fundamental improvement to it that makes it better at its job, then I don't want to change it, which, I mean, I guess a lot of people, I think yourself included, would be like, ah, Aaron, that's fucking boring, oh my god, how can you, like, deal with doing the same thing over and over again? Not but, at all. I don't know, I find, I find joy in the process, too, like, the refinement of the process, um, I,
2: I could totally, I could totally see myself doing the same thing over and over again for the rest of my life. I mean, you have to, when you're doing, you know, when you're in a metal shop and you're doing fabrication, there are mm-hmm. times where you're doing the same thing over and over again for weeks. Yeah. And I liked it. I liked it because then you have to like to figure out ways in which to get better. I, I also was in the restaurant game and my old mentor and chef and boss, his name is Charlie Palmer. He used to say the most important thing in a restaurant is give the people what they want. So, like, I've always, that's always been in the back of my head of just, like, give the people what they want. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to, like, you know, you don't have to educate them in terms of what you want them to do. If they want a gut hook, make them a gut hook. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Oh. oh, I'm not, oh, not, not going to do, do that, that, Jeff.
1: That's where I
2: draw the line. The gut hook, I can't do a gut yeah, hook. Yeah, yeah. I can't be yeah. holding Dremels. I can't be holding Dremels to sharpen gut hooks, Sir, Well, you got
1: to put a saw blade on the back of it. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Gut hooks are my, that's that's the one way I,
1: I say Sorry, that. yeah, for people outside of the the knife industry that might be listening to this, you know, this is all in good fun, but there are some things that happen on, on knives in general that just aren't practical, just don't make any right. sense. That's two of them. Okay, gut hooks gut hooks and sawbacks yeah, I guess. yeah so.
2: yeah how have you been i just you know what I'm, I'm so happy you're here this is the end of the year well, thank you for having me oh it's, it's my pleasure i always have a good time talking with you we, we had a lot of time good time talking about uh um ai and stuff like that maybe we're gonna, i have something i want to kind of bring up to you um but in sure. the meantime i was super excited to see i got the new newsletter i got finally got the new aaron goff newsletter I love that you're on my
1: mailing list. Oh, dude, hilarious.
2: I love dude. I'm telling when I'm saying when I say the Resolute Mark IV is my favorite knife. This thing is amazing. I mean, it's better. It's so much better in person than it is on videos and on pictures and stuff like that. The thing is, the thing is remarkable. Is remarkable. Oh, I'm glad you like it so much. I almost I was my fingers were itching because I wanted to get one with the blue G10 with the green liner, mm-hmm. but I was just like I was like, hey, hold what you got, hold what you got, Junior.
1: <laughs> so what's going yeah on that's your the- colorway right oh I love that colorway yeah I mean um, so what a couple of weeks ago I sent out an email to all the people that had signed up for my mailing list just saying like look the workshop's been down for a long time I miss making knives I want to get back to making knives I need to light a fire under my own butt and you know having some funding isn't going to hurt either right so right. basically um, yeah I took a batch of pre-orders for the Resolute Mark Three. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, uh, I'm super excited about having that commitment. I don't really like pre-orders in general, but yeah. in this case, it's exactly what I need. I think just to, I need a deadline, you know, it's so easy for like uh, the w- renovating my workshop. So yeah, let, let me rewind for a second, uh, for folks that aren't fully, uh, read up on where I'm at. So, uh, what, 18 months ago I moved to the middle of nowhere. Like our nearest town is 15 minutes away. It has like 400 people, you know? Um, and we bought this property with a house and a workshop on it. And I really thought that the workshop was going to be like, you know, 10 grand in a couple of weeks, uh, worth of work to kind of pretty it up a bit and, and, uh, get rolling. And, uh, yeah, here we are 18 months later and it's not finished. And that's because the scope of work expanded. It needed more work than I realized. It had structural issues, blah, blah, blah. But, you know the long and the short of it is that i think in this situation having a deadline uh is great you know and so
2: you you're re- it's re- everything's ready to roll or i mean no, so it's this... god no
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that would be easy mode I, you know i don't do easy mode so
2: so how much when do you think you're going to start making this patch
1: uh probably March or so. So I told I told everyone um that placed an order that the the lead time is six to eight months. And like I said, I feel like wildly lucky to have customers that are willing to wait that long. Like that's insane. I wouldn't wait that long. If someone was like, Yeah, yeah, you can have the thing, wait eight months, I'd be like, get out of here. Um But yeah, so basically I have uh two more things that I need to do before the shop can be up and running, which is I need three phase power in the shop for all of my CNC machines. And I need to do the floor. Um, Because I don't know, this, you know this yourself. There's some things in the workshop where you're like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to do this thing, but you're never, ever going to do them once you start working. And putting in an epoxy floor is one of those things. Like, it's, you're never, ever going to like shut down everything, move all of your stuff out of the the room, do an epoxy floor. Like, so I just don't want to put myself in the situation where that never happens. I want to finish the shop. The way I intended you know well the floor is the one thing it's just like do it before you start I mean that's yeah. the one
2: thing I could totally see that
1: and every single one of my shops has had in the past has had like shitty floors and uh I don't know if you know this about me, Jeff, but um <laughs> I can be a little bit uh nitpicky at times. And oh really? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh I in my last shop, the floor I you know, I ground it and I painted it and then I it just was really messed up still. It had low spots everywhere and all the dirt would get into the low spots and then you can't clean them out. So the floor just looked dirty forever and it drove me insane. So wow. not this time. This is my forever shop, so I'm gonna do it right.
2: Wow. So so how many, if you don't mind me asking, how mm-hmm. much how many bat uh, what kind of batch were how many uh, knives are you think you're gonna be working on this batch?
1: Uh it's gonna be around sixty-five, seventy. Oh it's um panelable? Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be fine. Like um, you know, once I'm up and running at full clip, that's you know, a couple of months to to deal with that. So I think a couple. Uh, you know, at least three. But that's that's fine. Are like, you still um,
2: taking pre orders?
1: Right now, yes. Okay. Um so, yeah, if people are really itching to wait eight months for a knife, they're, why not? they're
2: welcome to put it in <laughs> Why not? I mean, um, I tell you, the pre-order thing is so, it's, it's kind of controversial, but it's like unrealistically controversial. Like a lot of knife makers will say you never take money up front. And hmm. the reason why, ultimately, is because those people are also the same people who will be the ones who flee bag out. And don't, and don't finish it off is really what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's tons of cases where people have gotten screwed over, you know, and it's not necessarily, um, malice on, uh, the side of the knife maker. Like, you know, it could be that they got sick. It could be that things took longer. There's, there's totally cases of malice. Oh yeah. hundred percent exist. Yeah. But, um, you know, in my case, I'm, I'm lucky because like I have a track record. I've delivered pre-orders many times before. Um, I'm not doing something new. Uh, I actually kind of wanted to, but then I checked myself and I was like, nope, nope, nothing, like, don't do something new. Finish the workshop, you know, re-implement the process as you had it, because I haven't made any knives in 18 months. There's going to be a lot of shit that I've forgotten. Um, so, you know, just... Kind of playing it safe a little bit, I guess.
2: I think that it's perfect that you just, this is going to be your getting the shop, because obviously you've never made anything in this shop before, so all the the equipment's going to be in different places. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to create your own. It's going to be really exciting because you know how to make the knife, but you're creating a brand new like, air traffic control in your shop of where everything's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a fun project for you, frankly. I mean, 60, 60 is, is very manageable. If you told me it me 400, I'd be like, no, my no, no man, no. I'm coming up and I'd love to help you. But, but 60, is, <laughs> 60 is very handleable
1: yeah I, I and that's the thing like i think you also have to be realistic um you know i think some people get stars in their eyes when when the pre-order starts coming in they're like oh my god if i just leave it open i'll have like a million dollars in the bank and they right. they forget that you're you're kind of taking a loan you know right like, and you have to pay that back
2: yeah and there's nothing at the end <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> there's yeah, nothing yeah. at the end and all what, the- what?
1: Yeah, like, what Jeff's saying there, and I've been in this position in the past, like, when you take pre-orders, you know, everything comes in up front. So, you finish the pre-orders, you've done all this hard work. And your bank account might be in the negative because it's taken longer than you expected, or things were more expensive. You know, it is a risk on the knife maker's side too to take pre-orders. I, um, it's. I, I remember
2: we used to take pre-orders. I, you know, we would, I'm st- I'm not against it. We've. Mm-hmm. We. It's taken me three years to cut our order list down to nothing, and yep. we. That was the plan years ago. Actually, I was talking about it uh, last week. That three years ago, I wanted to have for uh christmas holiday time i wanted to have 100 knives in the shop ready to go and we have 150 and it was and with no pre and we were taking i was taking i was taking customs a week ago with the promise to get the knife out for christmas like i was i was wild i was going bananas like no problem (laughs) we got this because i I got a guy now and we which has been really helpful and i it's been good the pre-order thing is good because you are it is a loan that's the first time i've ever heard someone refer to it as a, totally no a loan it's a no interest loan it's a no interest loan and the, the 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 issue is i remember we did some pre-orders with some chefs because we at the time the only reason we were doing pre-orders is because i needed a gauge of how many knives i could sell other yeah, I, right. was a, uh, I was doing a i was doing a collaboration with the chef we didn't know how they'd go, and I wasn't about to make 100, and if we don't sold, we sold 10. So we would do the pre-order to kind of figure out how many people, we, and then we'd know how to make. And frankly, I just remember when we sold, I think it was like 40 or something like that, my business partner was like, Isn't, aren't you happy? Aren't you happy? And I said, like, now I got to make them. You know, yeah, it's just like, yep. that sucked. But now, I've been doing, instead of pre-orders, we've been doing batches, and then Sometimes they don't go and sometimes yep. there's they sit in the shop, but at the same time as they sell everybody else and ain't fish, it's not gonna go bad. So it's <laughs> it's you know, it's up on the website and people every so often will cherry pick and it it makes life easier. But the f- the fact that I think that there's this negative connotation on taking money up front, which in any other business it's not
1: really strange at all. Right. Yeah, um, and I mean I have mixed feelings about it. I think as, for me personally, as a business model in the long run, um, doing batches based on pre-orders just absolutely ruins my mental health. Right. Like, it, it puts the uh, reward in totally the wrong place. It right. puts the reward on the sale rather right. than like finishing the knife and right. getting it out to a customer. And um, you don't get the, the like financial incentive after you've made the knife. You know, so like it, it really does mess with you. Um and in this case, I'm only doing it it was actually a really big decision on my part to to decide to do this because of the negative mental health experiences that I've had with pre orders in the past. Right. Um, and in this case, the reason it makes sense is because of the deadline. Um, you know, so I you know, the I'm not gonna lie, the shop's been real expensive to do that renovation. I bet. Um You know, I'm lucky I have a day job now, so I can, like, kind of do it piecemeal if I wanted to, or I could go to the bank and, you know, extend my credit and and do it that way, but, you know, doing it so that my uh, customers can help me finish that process, I think, is a much more constructive way of doing it. 100%. Yeah, and it also means, like, honestly, from a risk management perspective, if I go to the bank and take out a big loan, and then I lose my day job... Oh man, I'm in trouble at that point, you know. Whereas uh, having pre-orders from the customers, if I lose my day job, now all of a sudden I have more time to to work on making those knives for people, you know. So,
2: but here's the interesting thing about you in in, in general is not just I mean, for, the fact remains is that your videos are some of the best, but your knife is that. the best. And the fact is, is the Resolute Mark III is a is a fucking triumph. And the crazy <laughs> thing you. is, is the, you know, you wouldn't have to do pre-orders if you just didn't give anybody a choice on the steel, the the finish, or or the handle material. Like if you just decided we're just gonna do, I'm gonna do i am I'm gonna do 60, you know, uh, AEBL with a DLC coating and the G10 right. black G10, and that's just the way it is. I don't think you'd have as much of a of a, of a I don't, you wouldn't even need to do a pre-order you know.
1: You and I've that done action? that in the past where I just kind of, I, what people call that, like, maker's choice or whatever, where you just, you do whatever you want, choice, people want them. Yeah, they, yeah great. Um I've it, done that in the past, but I also, I really do enjoy the, like, individual interactions with people, yeah. and they're like, you know, the, oh, oh, how do you think this com- color combination would look, you know? Um And and getting them something that's, like, uniquely theirs. So, I don't I'm sure yeah. you've seen this, but on the website, I've been I actually changed my process to enable me to do this. I I pre-machine all of the G10 for the handle scales and the liners into very specific shapes so that, you know, so basically like long rectangular bars, they're the exact same size as each other. And then I have this um jig where I can glue them up. So if you come to me and you're like, "Oh, Aaron, I want that royal blue handle scales with the the toxic green liners." You know, I can put those two colors of G10 into this little glue-up jig, and two hours from now have a handle blank that's ready to start machining. Yeah, Um, that's great. You know, I would, I would really love to get to the point where like uh, people can place an order for a completely custom like combination, and then they get it within like a week. That'd be amazing. But I'm away from there.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just glad. I hadn't heard from you in a while, and I'm just very glad <laughs> that you're back at it. Because, like, I mean, I've said this. I'm saying it again. I mean, the Resolute Mark III is one of the best knives in the custom knife game. I mean... Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you like yours so much, man. Oh, everything about it. The Kydex is beautiful. The knife is unbelievable. Everything about it is is just, is just really, you know... I mean, I don't want to say enough, but, I mean, I'm just glad that you're doing this. And I think it's very exciting because it is like this... You know, you're 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 starting up the fires and the smokes. I see the smoke yeah. is about to billow out of the chimney, and now you're about to kick some ass and make Heating some batches. Heating up that forge, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The chips. You hear me spitting chips? Is what? Isn't that what it's called?
1: <laughs> spitting oh, chips. I, I always thought that referred to fish and chips, but you're probably right.
2: Oh, but I mean, I, I mean, you can say <laughs> when you're forging, you turn on the fire and you're like hitting, hitting the steel. But yeah, what but... you're doing is you're like, you know, spitting chips.
1: Yeah. Right. On the CNC machines. Totally, man. Well, yeah. Like, you know, like doing the move and going back to having a day job. Cause I think we talked about this, but like when I approached the bank about getting a mortgage while I was full-time with knife making, they were like, <laughs> you know, they, they literally one, one lady at one of the bank branches, I, I said that I was self-employed and she just like closed the mortgage kind of brochure book in front of me and I was like, "Oh, okay, great." You know, so like moving back to a day job, um, you know, and then finishing up all my orders while working part-time, looking for a house, getting the mortgage, getting the house, um, and then moving out here. Um, it's it's been a wild ride, man. It's so yeah, I'm I'm glad to be where I'm at. I'm glad to be making progress. And is your partner excited to see the Aaron Goff of old? Um maybe it'll probably be more things i'm talking her ear off about so 50 50 oh <laughs> that's right
2: Cause, but does she know does she know the in production aaron goff is she gonna see because my wife kind of likes it when i'm when the manias the i had to move my i had to get a shop away from the house because right. she just didn't need the mania we call it the main i mean i get like right I get, when, I, when things are going well and i'm meeting my daily deadlines I have this roar of adrenaline and you can't shut me up. And I don't <laughs> mind, I'm not going to tell her about knife making because I know she isn't. I've known her for, we've been together for 30 years, over 30 Great. years. And I remember when I was back when we were, you know, 20, I made a steel flower for her as a, like a whatever. We were both like 20 years old. Right. And she was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" And I gave her another one the next year, and I gave her another one the next year. And she was like, "Are we done with this?" And then she goes, "Are we done with the steel? Are we done with the steel?" So she, she I don't ever have to mention the word
1: steel to her again. She's had it, no interest. So you made all. her a titanium flower the next year, right? Well,
2: I cut it out <laughs> with the, I cut it out with the steel. I cut it out with all that stuff, and. The 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 cool thing is is she likes coming over here every couple months just to see what's been happening. But at the same time, she likes the mania. But at the same time, she also is prepared for like, oh god, this is a lot (laughs) of Jeff. We're gonna hear a lot of Jeff is about to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, my partner is a very different person than I am, and that's great. You know, like we, our relationship really works uh, despite that difference. Um, So she's a teacher, and she currently she uh what like six months ago five months ago she got basically her dream job which is super exciting like i'm really proud of her she's she um is teaching basically the kids that the the system has failed you know so these are kids that have like been emancipated from their parents at like 16 years old and they're living by themselves and working a full-time job and and trying to get their high school credits done you know um so, yeah, we have very, very different daily experiences yeah. obviously um and yeah i don't I, I'm very lucky, man. We have like patience for each other to to hear about each other's days, but yeah i'm I'm kind of like you i i I can get hyper focused on on shit that that I can get the mania, as you said the mania, the mania yeah. is real yeah 100%. but that's
2: the best drug of all time i mean that's there's yeah. no i mean there's no better alcohol or drug or anything better than the the sculptor or the makers the mania the, the the that rush of you figured it out or even yeah. something stupid like you fi- you know even you figuring out how to fix a fixture on your when you're cnc you know that you're just like you just fixed something and you get the mania and that's the best shot of it all
1: yeah yeah I, I refer to that as uh, being in my glory.
2: Yeah, being yeah. in your glory. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Good. I call it the mania. I've always, <laughs> I've, I love the mania.
1: I just, I like the glory because it's a bit of a, a positive connotation. Mania sounds bad.
2: I, I, I always, I had a, my college roommate was named, uh, his name is Miles, and he was just one of the, he inspired me because he was a, scu- he was a double major. He was an awesome writer and he, he was an English major and a sculptor. And right. he and I had a sculpture studio together. And he would just like, when he would talk, he'd get you excited. And he was just, you know, kind of like Hunter Thompson, but at the same time, a little bit like, you know, uh, just ex- very creative and exciting. And then all of a sudden, he would just get you fired up. He would get you so fired up, and he would always talk to you about the mania, the, you know. So I right. always, I always liked it.
1: Yeah, and I do love those moments, and I've had the most of those moments in in the workshop and workshop related stuff for sure. I bet. So I'm yeah being being at the house especially given that we're so like physically isolated um being up here for the last 18 months without having the shop available has been kind of a mindfuck um right. i i have not super enjoyed it <laughs> to be honest um because it's i don't know man like i like working on buildings and stuff like i, I did renovations for a while like you know that's it, great but like When the thing between you and the thing that you're, like, most passionate about is a whole bunch of, like, ultra-boring, dirty, hard work uh, to renovate a building, it's just... It's not a great time. So do you ever walk in there in
2: the middle of the night and just be just like get excited for oh, and get getting the gasoline in- out and start fuck this. <laughs> <I'll> burn <laughs> this shit down. Yeah. You're gonna light the whole joint on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean you have you must go in there and just excited to kind of like be done and get started.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm getting into that phase now because I'm in the like finishing phase process you know so like i'm i'm painting the front room at the moment and you'll like it jeff the, the whole place is white like a you know surgical theater white i like but then but then the bottom the f- bottom four feet of every wall uh i've done like a contrast color with this uh gloss gray you know so mm-hmm. when you put your hand on the wall uh it's easy to clean off love those, it yeah I my dream I, my
2: dream shop my my daughter's in college now and my wife and I are talking about our next step and we would like mm-hmm. to move and get, do a different a different house same area. Sure. We want a loft. I mean we've always we're I'm a New Yorker. I've always wanted like a loft space and we, when I think about my dream situation it's a shop but then I have a giant white room with huge ceilings for painting. I just want to paint four oh, walls and I want to paint giant paintings on these four walls with nothing else but white walls. So I, I <laughs> totally, I totally understand that. Understand that completely.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, like I said, I've just, I've always been in rental shops in the past. Um, you know, so you kind of move in and there's what they gave you and there's, you know, how much you're willing to spend on shit that you're going to have to basically throw away. Right. Um, when you move out, I mean. And this time around, the shop is mine. You know, it, it's pretty wild to think that, like... It, yeah, obviously, it's not quite like this, but it's, like, every almost, like, every dollar that I spend on the shop just kind of stays there in equity yeah. rather than just getting burnt. Um, so, like, I'm not going too ham, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing it right. Right.
2: Now, once you get the power... Is there uh-huh. going to be a lot of... Because uh, I know, you know, every. you always made the joke that everyone seems to think I press a button and the knives get spit out of one of the machines. Yeah, right. So once you get the three-phase, once you get the power, will there be a lot of setup time with all the different CNC machines to get them where before you can start making knives? Or how much time do you think it's going to take you to get all the equipment tuned up and ready to roll?
1: Uh, I would say only a couple of weeks. Um the the biggest issue is actually this actually happened before i moved the the machines were in toronto for about six months while i was up here working on the shop for originally i thought i could like you know have some overlap pay for both for a while and then get the shop done and move everything and i'd be good to go and uh yeah that ended up just being a really expensive failed strategy unfortunately um but i turned on one of the machines millie and um the the computer because it's super old school computer it has um it literally has like a lithium battery inside that like keeps the memory from going bad and if if that battery runs down too low uh which happens most likely because you're leaving leaving the machine there just sitting for a while uh it erases all of the memory like the 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 memory gets corrupted and Ugh. the cnc machine won't work properly anymore and uh guess what happened just before i moved?
2: shut the fuck up so
1: the very first thing i'm gonna have to do is actually fix one of my machines i have to like resolder on a new battery onto the motherboard and reload all of the the programs and shit but, is that gonna be hard uh, it's one of those things man it'll be fine you know like it's probably gonna be a weekend of swearing um, oh nice i like a weekend of swearing yeah you know oh God you throw throw things every once in a while, and then and it'll be fixed. It'll be good so just to kind of change gears, uh, yeah
2: you kind of really change the way I see because of your experience with computers and your your job and stuff like that you kind of change the way I've seen and talk about uh the concept of AI right. you back the last time you were here, you were saying, eh, it's not really an artificial intelligence. You said it's deep learning software. All these algorithms are deep learning software. So it's not like they're not sentient. They're just kind of doing their thing, but they're not really figuring out ways in which to grow. Or I don't know. I mean, how would you describe
1: it? Yeah. So, I mean, just, just for context, like my day job, I work as a software engineer right now. I'm doing uh, consulting. So I go into companies that are, are struggling and help them, you know, set their processes. Right. Um, and yeah, through that I get exposed to a fair bit of like machine learning and so on. The I would actually divide it even further, Jeff, because there's the algorithm, which is like you know what Instagram wants to show you to maximize their ad revenue and their engagement rates, you know, and then there's the kind of the bigger stuff, the stuff that's been starting to happen over the next over the last couple of years, like Dali and ChatGPT and all that kind of stuff. the The algorithm is kind of made by hand. You know, like, there are folks like me that are, you know, typey-typing a bunch of code and and designing this algorithm to maximize your engagement. Um, I kind of personally have a problem with that because you're, like, deliberately making software addictive, but, uh, you know. Um, To who? Addictive to who? Everyone. To the user of... Yeah, to the users, yeah. yeah. You know, like, we, like, a lot of companies would call that like gamification, you know, like, hmm. um, well, I guess that's slightly separate. Like gamif- gamifying things is like, Oh, you know, when someone does 300 likes, you know, right. then, then you're like, Oh, good job. You got 300 likes, you know? Oh, Oh, that endorphin rush, that dopamine rush is, is addictive, you know? Um, and of course that drives metrics up and a lot of businesses are driven by data. So they look at the metrics and they're like, Oh, our metrics are up whatever we just did was good and you, you iterate on that and you're kind of accidentally making an addictive thing, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, or deliberately depending on the company. But, um, but then, yeah, we, the last couple of years we've had this really interesting thing happening with machine learning, with deep learning um, where, so, I mean, a, as a very like personal example in my day-to-day practice there, you know, I'm, I'm writing code. I'm having to like, remember a thousand magical incantations that make the magic box do the thing I want it to do. And, um, (laughs) you know, a lot of times you'll be like, Oh God damn, what what is what is this thing called again? You have to like Google it, you know, okay. Find the documentation, type some stuff in, you know, get your job for the day done. Um, over the last like year or so, uh, GitHub, which is, kind of like the Google Drive of programming. You know, it's where everyone kind of collaborates on their code. Um, GitHub rolled out this thing called Copilot, which is a deep learning system, an AI system, trained on all of the code that is open source on GitHub, which is, like, just a mind-boggling quantity of, of code. And this system, like, sits in my code editor.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple.
1: like watches what I'm typing and then tries to help me out. It's like, oh, I think you know, like it's kind of like Clippy from Microsoft <laughs> Word, except it doesn't suck. You know. <laughs> oh, I see. It looks like you're trying to write code. Can That's I help a good that? one. That's a yeah. deep cut. Deep cut. So, good. but I I went from being like really skeptical about this to not even thinking about how much I use it. Like it is it it is a tool that I use every hour of every day you know when i'm working and it's amazing so it, it is wild how it, how much things have changed
2: is it is it like i got a new update on my iphone and when i prep when i start typing words it it kind of assumes the word that i'm trying to say or the next yep. word i'm trying to say is that basically what this program software does
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'll start writing a a function, uh, you know, or or a method or, you know, like, a kind of a unit of code. And it'll be like, oh, hey, is this what you want for the rest of the line? And I'm like, you know, I expected when I started with this to be, like, no, you know, stupid thing, like, you idiot computer. (laughs) And instead, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. Thanks.
2: I, that's I mean that's that's I get that on my on my phone now on my computer too like it is yeah. almost writing as I'm writing it's ahead of me every
1: word it's ahead of me, yeah, and honestly I think um I would call that like an assistive system if that makes sense, yeah, I think we're seeing some like damage happening to various industries because of generative systems so like um dolly for instance is um a deep learning system for creating images so you can tell it like oh you know paint me an oil painting of a cat in space right and it'll you know 90 percent of the time it'll do a pretty decent job on it um and i think that that's having some pretty wide-reaching negative effects within the creative industry yeah um Copilot's a little bit different because it's it's not it's really not able to comprehend the whole system. It's just able to help you in little ways. It's like it's like um autocorrect. You know, like right. it it's it's kind of there helping you along the way. Uh, tools like that that kind of that make you know our jobs as humans easier, I think that's fantastic. Um I do think though that it's yeah, a very dangerous tool like you know, companies that are like laying off their creative teams to instead try and rely on, um, you know, AI image generation.
2: Well, that was—I mean—that was part of the whole. I mean, I don't know if you were paying attention, but there was a writer strike and an actor strike yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. And a lot of the sticking points with the actor strike is the use of AI and right. AI-generated stuff, but also like being able to like have people's information. Like right now. I mean, I'm just assuming, and I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of from what I've heard, that Walt Disney now has like a whole thing for James Earl Jones, so they can do the star, they can do the, the, the Star Wars voice, the Darth Vader right. voice, right? Um, in the Flash movie like, recently, uh, Flash movie, they had uh, Michael Keaton, who's my favorite Batman, ape, number one, but number two <laughs> is at the end they had this like That's a hot take. Oh, dude, I saw the first... I saw I saw the first showing of the first Batman. It was the day my dad got married. I was late right. to my dad's wedding to see that movie. Oh, so, dedication. Oh, forget it. He was furious at me. So um, <laughs> so they did this scene where apparently Tim Burton was going to do a Superman movie with uh, Nicolas Cage as Superman, and it never really happened. So in this movie, they kind of created that and... Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton were not very happy about it. They, it was right. like it was. It created this failed little clip of of Nicolas Cage's Batman of Superman. There is definitely that the AI thing is 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 crazy because, like you were saying, um, it's it, it can be very hurtful. One of the interesting things that happened this past Black Friday was a new algorithm went sweeping through Instagram.
1: Oh, I saw this. Yeah, well, and everybody that was like trying to sell knives got their accounts like. Abandoned well shit,
2: right? here's there's a few things there's a lot to unpack and and a lot to unpack about it and I've and I've been saying this on this knife talk for a while there's this I so they basically gave you this warning that's saying we can't recommend you to outside of your followers because right. of this 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 and this so the algorithm kind of flat would it, the, honestly it was nice of Instagram to tell you, why and what you can do to fix it that's number one sure but number two is there was this mass freak out saying that they're being suppressed and knife makers and gun guys are all being suppressed and this is like this it was the only, they were making it seem like this apocalypse where it was yeah, really just yeah. like a kerfuffle what was your whole take on that? Because I have a take from about a year ago that I think is the direct reasoning. But well tell me what you think about that whole thing.
1: Um I don't know. It it so have I've been on the inside of this as well. So um previously on Facebook, if with Facebook ads, you could market knives and sell them. And for me, I found that that was a hugely powerful tool for driving sales because you could be really specific. I could be like, you know, men between the ages of 25 and 65 in the US that have like hunting as one of their interests. Show them, show them some uh, ads for my knives, and the return on investment on that ad spend was just wildly good. Um, and then Facebook decided that selling that all knives were weapons so you couldn't sell knives anymore except in some cases where like they allowed kitchen knives and it's really unclear like where that border is and you know so i had you know i suddenly lost a what had become quite an important way of driving growth in my business right um and i can totally see people on instagram having that same moment they're like oh God, like, you know, all of my sales come from people seeing my work on Instagram, from Discovery on Instagram, like, this is gonna destroy me. And then the outside of it is like, I don't know, it it seems like a mistake, maybe we just wait and, and see how it shakes out. But... I also think that, like, people actually trying to take action and, um, you know, trying to stir a bit of outrage around it is probably part of the reason why it got fixed.
2: Well, <laughs> so, that you, – you know. I heard uh, one of our listeners, a good good friend of our, the show, uh, Reaper uh, Manufacturing's awesome guy Bobby. Bobby. Uh, he was on another podcast, and he says that what you got to do is you have to appeal. You have right. to – if you appeal, that teaches the – that instead of just getting rid of everything, you appeal, and then that kind of teaches the software or something like that right but one thing i found for knife talk and my fucking partners didn't show <laughs> any interest which was like which annoyed me more than anything else this is like <laughs> i found a story that i thought was interesting and i read it about a year ago and the got right. my boys my boys just showed no interest And this i believe that this is the sole reason why what happened have you heard do you know what section 230 is
1: uh you know what you've brought this up in the past i No, I don't, because I think it's a U.S. legislation that I don't have
2: in my mind. Section 230 of the 1996 Communications and Decency Act states that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. I I didn't... Right. i didn't i read that i didn't that didn't obviously <laughs> you can tell i didn't memorize this shit. i didn't yeah, yeah, yeah i was just like
1: get ready this is my soliloquy no i that, well, that I was I, I think that's the definition of a common carrier right like the idea that like the phone company shouldn't censor you because they're a common carrier their job is just to transmit your speech and that's it yes
2: I mean, so right. here's where it came from section i got this I have, this there's a link to in the if you go to uh full blast podcast on instagram it's, a bi- it's in the link in the bio to this article from the PBS. And right. it says, uh, back in the 50s, when bookstore owners were being held liable for selling books containing obscenity, uh, mm. which is not protected by the First Amendment, one case eventually made it to the Supreme Court, which held that a chilling effect to hold someone liable for someone else's content. So Section 230 came to to, to basically protect the purveyors, like a newsstand or something like that. Right. So they basically also said that, well, then this is going to work for Google, which owns YouTube and Meta and stuff like that. So they're protected from the stuff that their users uh, say. So recently, um, when did this happen? So th- there's a court case in, in the Supreme Court. It's still going on. It's called Gonzalez versus Google, which is challenging this law. Basically, um I want to read it, so I don't have to sound like I'm. I'm I, I, well, basically, I'll, I'll tell you what. So what happened was, is the Gonzalez family's daughter was involved. Was she was murdered by terrorists in in France? And yeah. what they what the claim is is the lawyers claiming is that the way YouTube works is you finish the video and it says if you like that maybe you like this. Yep. That rec- that recommendation. Recommended, you know, these ISIS guys to watch more ISIS videos, and then they ended up right. becoming recruited because of the algorithm that suggested that uh, ISIS be, you know, that, you know they they believe that the, all of a sudden that does YouTube is is suggesting these things and so making it them giving them a, a yeah. degree of, of culpability, so what the, the the idea is is that all of a sudden it seems as though that there there is a shockwave through these companies basically saying our algorithms aren't you know we could be we could if this goes through we could be liable for the things that we rep, that we uh, uh recommend, right? recommend. Yeah, recommend. Right. I so when I read this, the guys they were just like, "Oh, oh who gives a shit?" But no one gives. No one's listening. And then it just dawned on me: there's this is with everyone. All these algorithms that are like, why well, you hear people being shadow banned or being suppressed. It's mm-hmm. just these companies covering their asses. They don't give a shit about knives. They don't give a shit about weapons. They don't give a shit about any of this.
1: They give a shit about being sued. Well, so the other aspect of this is. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you. I think the other aspect of it is um, <laughs> these companies make money not because I'm posting videos, but because they are posting ads right. alongside my videos. You know, I'm bringing them eyeballs for their for their ads, right? So they have a vested interest in making sure that uh, they cause as little offense as possible by the pairings of those like ads oh. and posts, right? So. You know, if I make some, like, super offensive video and then, I don't know, I don't know Ryobi or, or something has their ads alongside it. And then they're like, yo, you you showed our ad alongside a super offensive video. What the heck? That's, you know, that's part of what they care about. Um And, yeah, I don't know. I Like, I think ads, ads in general, it's one of those per- perverse incentives thing where, like, it drives people and companies to do really strange things. I don't know. Okay, so this is a bit of a digression, but go ahead. Do you remember? Have you ever seen ads for the the video game called Ebony, Evony? E V O N Y. No. So I don't know. I, I don't never even played it. I just watched this um, kind of the ad progression play out in real time so it's some sort of like city building game where you have to you know like sims uh sim city or civilization where you you build your little town you harvest resources whatever um the first ads that they made for this game were like you know a picture of a knight in armor like come defend your your property right and then Uh, they clearly started AB testing these ads, right? They were like, oh, okay, which, which version of the night is, is better. And then they were like, oh, wait, when it's a, when it's a female night, we get more clicks. And they just went down this like optimization rabbit hole that, and the end result of this was like, um, you know, ladies in bikinis, saying like come play with me my lord you know to, and they like completely um divorced from what the game was actually about but they had this perverse incentive to maximize the click rate on their ads and it led them down this really strange path um and i think that stuff like that happens all through our society you know like um I don't know if you've seen those, like, uh, rage bait DIY videos where they'll make something utterly ridiculous. Like, uh, oh, I saw the one the other day where they were making, like, their own G10 out of, like, some old jeans and then using it as, like, the sole of a boot. Like, then you just have these, like, rigid shoes. Anyway, Anyway, like, the entire comments were full of, like, what is this crap? But because it's so bad, they get people engaging with it. Wait so a they second! Keep making content. What did you call it? Rage, rage
2: bait. This is something we talk about all the time. I had um, my friend Stephen Powell, who does he's full steam designs. Right. He started. He and and then so I don't know if you know dies in every film. He's a um, honor Kegler is unbelievable. He right, makes just crazy things, and right. he does it. It's all rage bait. And they're right. looking for that engagement. He'll do like a slingshot. He'll do like an, uh, a dart. A go- you got to look at guys in every film. on you. I mean, this guy is like, he, he's been on here before. He, he's unbelievably good. And he makes these videos to get engagement. And he does right. things that make people angry. And he does things to people comment. And it's, it's rage bait. Yep. Chris Powell, if you're listening to this, it's called Rage Bait. You've been, you've been, you've been doing, they all have, do, he did a video, he did a video where he demonstrated, and he wasn't even trying to, he demonstrated how to do a dry pour of cement. Do you know what dry pouring cement is? You no, open a bag, sound Right. you open a bag, <laughs> okay. and then you sprinkle it with water, you don't mix it. Mm, and okay. apparently it works. So he did this video. It's a nothing thing. I mean, it's a, do, do, Is this even controversial?
1: They got ten million comments he, of people saying this is
2: wrong. People yeah. lost their goddamn minds on TikTok. He did it on right, and he he was just like, he just capitalized on it. He's like, oh, maybe I should do another one. So he does these videos, and it's it's rage bait. You're hundred percent right. Yep. That's the yeah, that's and- yeah. God damn it, rage bait. <laughs> <laughs> rage
1: bait. I love yeah, rage I mean, bait. That's exactly what it is. And so, to me, that's a really good case, like the the ads, it, of a perverse incentive. If you if you optimize for engagement, then it doesn't necessarily matter whether your your video is really informative or really wrong. Either way, you get that engagement, and you might actually get more engagement when you're really wrong. <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's it people are like real eager to correct you I know. you know um and they'll i think give you their the resume same... they'll give you their resume right. too yeah 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 <laughs> I, i've been pouring concrete since 1963 <laughs> um they give you your res their resume yeah. on other yeah. comment <laughs> the um so the, kind of linking that back to what you were saying about the the algorithm and the, the liability of it for me That's a little bit of a perverse incentive because, you know, you give a big company like Google, like, just a whiff of them possibly being liable for something, and they will optimize that that liability away. They're like, nope, we're not going to deal with that. So, and I think that that led to, uh, you know, that along with advertisers being like, yo, why are you recommending my ads? Why are you putting my ads up alongside, you know, knife and gun videos? Boom, like, all of a sudden, it's too risky for them to... Get ads next to knife or gun videos, and therefore the whole platform, you know, kind of changes around that.
2: I guess I kind of delineate YouTube from Instagram because Instagram sure. isn't as addy as I mean, when you do when you do YouTube videos and you have the op- opportunity to monetize, you're you are in business with YouTube for to a certain degree, but with yeah. Instagram, especially as a knife maker, like my job is to get new eyes on what I'm doing and then immediately get them onto the, onto the newsletter and to get them over to my website. Like I'm right. not interested. Like I did the, they were giving me money to do reels for a little bit and I was just like, okay, fine. <laughs> but it was like yeah. nothing, you know? And then, you know, as soon as I got the blue check mark, they took it all away, which was annoying. So, uh, <laughs> but, but, but like, so my job, I don't necessarily, ads aren't really for me in regards, okay. I mean, in regards to Instagram but i would imagine that the i'm convinced that section 230 is the reason why they're so like quick to um not recommend it, cuz it's about the recommendation it's not about the content right. you know they don't give a shit like what you tell the people who are following you they they give a shit about like should we be promoting this person based on what they're doing and will this be liable will we be liable for this
1: in the future yeah. And I think that accidental radicalization of people is totally a thing. Like, um, you know, I think, I think we mentioned this last time I was on the podcast actually, but like, I find firearms really fascinating. They're, you know, obviously as a machinist and yeah. someone that really likes craftsmanship, you know, like firearms are super interesting. And every time I click on a firearms video, it totally ruins my YouTube recommendations. Cause then they're like, Oh um, you know, our data set says that people that really like firearms are more closely correlated with being like ultra right-wing. right wing. So here's a whole bunch of ultra right wing uh, YouTube content. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, God damn it. I have to like retrain my my homepage every time, you know. Um, but if you weren't aware of that and you just kind of were like, oh, OK, well, I'll click this Oh, I'll click that. All of a sudden you end up with a drastically different experience than you know, your partner or family member in the next room is going to have on YouTube. Um, and it can become a real echo chamber, you know, like you're like, Oh, did you see this? Did you see that news? You know? And it's all obviously with a very specific bias, but you, you don't even see the walls of that echo chamber. You know,
2: my wife sends me one picture, one video, one reel about a cat and I'm screwed. It's like it's <laughs> cats from now on, you know oh, I'm and, fine with that I love cats well, videos. I know, but it's just like it's it's, it's enough already i, I I'm <laughs> honestly frankly, I'm slowly slowly really kind of tr- trying to drive myself away from uh off of Instagram just because that whole I just i I don't really I'm trying to get I'm trying to be less interested in it. I've always felt to me social media was strictly for me in the beginning, I love Facebook because I did like communicating with family members I just didn't want to see. <laughs> that, right. that, that, that's it. I love right. seeing high school friends and not having to go see them. I like that. See, I, that I liked. But then once it started to become business, I really divorced myself from the... Like, I don't mm-hmm. feel the need to voice my political opinions. I don't feel the need to uh, review things that have nothing to do with me or anything like that. I don't want to give my opinions on anything. And... That's what I like. So I'm trying to like not
1: enjoy Instagram as much. You
0: know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean I want I to feel you. Well, and one of the th- things that I've been kind of facing as an issue is that um you know, my the content on my YouTube channel a lot of times is very like instructional, quite dry. And my personal style of, of like the videos that i really enjoy and engage with has really changed over the years huh. um i'm i'm actually i'm creating a second channel specifically so that i can kind of like unleash myself from the image that i want to present i and want to continue presenting on the like goth custom youtube um not to go do anything wild or crazy well kind of but like if i want to like i don't know reviewer lawnmower uh which is going to be very boring but i'm totally going to do it i don't want to do that on my golf custom channel you know so i started another channel called shop tales um which don't go there there's nothing on it yet um is it t-a-l-e-s or t-a-i-l-s t-a-l-e-s okay but yeah the goal is you know so like uh what i made a pressure chamber for doing casting of epoxy so you you know you you pump high pressure air and it crushes the bubbles down to nothing You make sure that you don't have bubbles in the middle of your casting. And a bunch of people on Instagram were like, "What are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. This thing's going to blow up. You've just made a bomb." And I was like, "Well, I don't think so because I used all pressure rated components, but now that I live in the middle of nowhere, let's find out. You know, let's let's find out how much pressure I have to pump into this thing until it fails and let's see what happens when it does, you know, but that that kind of uh, I I would call that like a high quality shit posting. <laughs> um, I,
2: you don't think it, we just, we're not going to do rage bait?
1: No, I'm going to go for high quality shit posting.
2: High yeah. quality shit posting. I'm I'm going to say here's a hot take. I don't <laughs> think that your golf custom viewers are prepared for <laughs> shit-posting Aaron. I don't think they're exactly, ready Exactly, which it. is why
1: I think it's time for a, a different channel. You know? They know. going like, say, something happened with this guy. because he well,
2: wasn't like this before.
1: Yeah, I've gotten a bit weird in my old age here. You know? Well, I've always been this way, honestly. That's the best have, part. Yeah, yeah. It, the, we have a big fire pit in our backyard. I think someone that lived here previously worked in, like, oil and gas. So our fire pit is made out of, like, a section of oil pipe. It's, like, six feet deep, three feet in diameter, like... You know, literally bulletproof. And um one of my friends was like, Oh, what happens if you like chuck a butane canister in the fire? I was like, I don't know, let's find out. So I, I, I tossed one in. And it was uh really anticlimactic. Like literally it was like tss, nothing happened. Ugh. So, you know, what common household object makes the biggest boom when you chuck it in your fire pit? I want to find out. Oh you know, and that gosh. is the kind of high quality shit posting I'm gonna be doing on this channel.
2: High quality HQSP <laughs> with Aaron go. Goff. <laughs> oh my God! I never thought that this would be. I kind of had a hint. I had a hint that you had a because you watch your videos and your very, your tone is very professional. I think that's probably one of the reasons why people like you so much is that your that mm. your posts are very like you're talking like you're talking to people in a clear, concise tone, and you're very like understanding and stuff like that. But now it's
1: like. I don't think people are going to be ready for shit post Aaron. <laughs> I think we talked about this last time too, man. Like honestly, I just need a bit of an outlet for that stuff I know. because without it, um, you know, as you were saying about Instagram, like it just becomes business. I like and, that though. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, dude, yeah. I'm, I'm on the cusp. I think my age. I
2: feel as though I got into Instagram and Facebook in the early days. Like I was forging and I was a blacksmith before. Before YouTube started, what? And How did you learn anything? I, I mean, I were, I got a, I was lucky at a job at a fabrication you to talk shop. talk to people
1: and shit. Jeez. Well, Stonage. I mean,
2: you know, if it wasn't for, I mean, well, we could talk about that too. But it, it was like, <laughs> and also, I think also being part of Generation X and having my experience of, I had terrible experience with galleries. Like, I had galleries right. in New York. I had galleries in Wyoming. I had galleries in California, and they were. I felt like it was a pimp relationship. Oh, yeah,
1: galleries it. are the record labels of the. Oh, the art it's world, the right? pimp. Yeah. It's
2: it's a pimp relationship, and I resented it and mm-hmm. and everything about it. And social media, when it fir- when Instagram first started, and it was like the it was the icon was like a was like a old uh, Polaroid camera. I remember I was I was <laughs> on there. I've been on there fourteen years. This fucking yeah. Instagram, and I remember this was my way out of that pimp relationship, right? And. Also being part of Generation X and, and, you know, there was a little bit more self-reliance and all that. And it was really, I feel as though I'm at the age now where I was I was almost like the cutoff of before. I mean, older people have, you know, are not really as interested in it because they don't see the value. And I feel as though I right. got in on the ground floor at an older age and it paid off to a certain degree. And I couldn't have built Fader Knives I couldn't have created Fader Knives without social media. Couldn't have. Uh,
1: 100%, man. Like, I I guess my first real exposure to social media was Reddit. Um, and uh, uh, what was the one before that? There was another one before that, anyway. I, I, I was part of the, the great exodus, I think they called it, um, <laughs> over to Reddit. And, yeah, my business wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Reddit. Like, I posted some photos of, like, some of my first knives on there and had someone else be like, oh, can you make me one? And that that's it that's how it started it is it is an extraordinary...
2: but I wonder I was talking to I've, I talked to a lot of content creators and I mm-hmm. even asked them D- are you offended if I refer to you as a content creator because you know <laughs> people people get you know their their hackles up based on anything that you call them you know you never know yeah, oh exactly. I don't want to don't call me a maker don't call me this don't call me that. however they identify and I wonder. In the beginning, it, it definitely felt like Instagram was for artists to show their art. It was definitely... I mean, that's when I first started. It was like I was showing my art and I was selling sculpture on Instagram. They would reach out to me, whatever. Yeah. And as I go through the iterations and the years and now... The only thing that gets you new views is reels, and I got to do these goddamn reels, and I'm, you know, I'm relatively miserable in all the reels, which people like. <laughs> I'm shit posting basically. I'm miserable in the reels, and you can tell
1: depression shit posting. Yeah, yeah. it's
2: like it's like yeah, Larry <laughs> David of knife making, no problem. Okay, but I've totally noticed that I feel as though Instagram is no longer really trying to help smaller companies try to do their thing. They're far more interested in content creation as opposed to people
1: showing their work yeah well i mean what gets more engagement what makes more money tits there you go sorry yeah (laughs) and it's you know and money is the ultimate perverse incentive right right like when money gets involved in something all bets are off like whatever makes the most money that's what's gonna happen basically um and yeah man like i've been on the internet uh since ye olde days when you had to have that uh the dial-up modem in the other room you know me too yeah and i don't know man like in some ways it has delivered more than i could have ever imagined like being able to go on youtube and be like uh you know one of my friends just had to Uh, do the caulking on his bathtub and I I helped him out and then he was like oh I I just watched a couple of videos on YouTube now like that's that's sick like you can get information like that in a really digestible form like super quickly that that is absolutely amazing
2: I redid my whole kitchen years ago 13 years ago I did my whole kitchen I did the tile I watched a YouTube video I did the floor the floorboards I watched a YouTube video
1: I did I I did I learned everything on on that on YouTube yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Like, that—that that is... I could never have imagined that when I, you know, when the internet first became a thing. Um, and in some ways, the, the way that it, it's ended up it, it has just makes me incredibly sad. You know, like the... Social media, I think, is a big part of it because there's such... There's such an incentive to be like a polarizing... Like we were talking about. Like, it doesn't really matter whether you're doing something like it's really great or really bad. Like... You're gonna get the most engagement on either end of that spectrum, so it like, it it pushes people to you know do crazy things, and it's
2: also promoting opinion being more important than fact.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a painful one for me, especially because I really, I really. I, so I'm, I only read science fiction. Like I'm, I love science fiction right. and like the internet is the ultimate science fiction. Right. So yeah. I imagined this future where like, oh, you're in the, the middle of the outback in Australia and my, my tire's flat and I need information on how to do X, Y, Z. You know, the internet's just full of fact, factual information proven, you know, and it's uh, kind of become the opposite, which is a bit rough. Pop quiz. <laughs> pitch oh
2: pitch me pitch me an Aaron Goff science fiction story
1: Ooh, okay so I'm not a writer but uh I'll I'll bear my soul here for a second I do actually have like a uh short story slash a novel go uh, ahead writing so the whole idea is it's an exploration of a post-scarcity society so where we've talked about this post-scarcity is is uh not needing anything like every every resource is limitless you don't need money because nothing's worth any money because you've got so much of it but you know what does that mean for an, an individual like where does the the meaning for your life come from like is it tied to your job like you don't need a job the robots do everything um you know how do you how do you find meaning? Like, wh- what is it that you latch onto in that kind of an environment? So that that's kind of the the theme that I'm trying to explore with what I'm writing. Uh, and when I say writing, that's a very loose term. I haven't right. even touched it in like two years. But you know, <laughs> well, that's one can dream. Even. Yeah, I always
2: wanted to pitch comic books, comic mm. book storylines. I was a huge when I was a kid. I was a huge comic book storyline guy, and I was Great. friends with writers and, and artists from DC and Marvel. Oh, number cool. one, this might be a deep cut for someone. I always felt that Prince Namor, so the Submariner. I don't know if you know about the Submariner. I Prince, do not. Prince Namor, half. He was the first mutant. He was okay. The first mutant. He was the first mutant, half human, half Atlantean. Oh, I I thought always, you're gonna say
1: half man, half fish? No, Atlantean. He's <laughs> you
2: know. All right. So my my first pitch to Marvel, and I think they listened to me. I felt as though Submariner needed to be on the X Men. That was number one. Mm. And they had him in there a little bit re- you know, recently, but I, I, I talked to some guys years ago. I was just like, I don't know why Prince Namor isn't part of the X-Men. And they right. stuck him in there. The next one, my only thing I've thought about this recently is, I think the Batman concept is amazing. And the reason why it's so amazing is because he's such a fascist. He's such a fascist. He's a Rich billionaire, <laughs> His dressing goes, up right? and beating yeah. up street street guys. He is the ultimate fascist. He's like the fascist, you know, wet dream. I love it. I love it. I love the whole concept. My pitch would be Batman goes into retirement and decides to go into politics. And Bruce Wayne Batmans the whole country. And he becomes, he uses his guile and his smarts and his intelligence and his craftiness to, like, take over the United States of America. And it's like... He turns who t- he turns the United States from a fascist country. Interesting. There you go. That's my. That's I would, my I'd pitch. love
1: to. I'd love to see it. It sounds better than um, seven Batman reboots.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's far <laughs> more interesting. He's you know, if he could like, he's no longer able to like jump through windows and stuff like that. Now he's gonna like, you know, he's gonna corrupt. He's gonna be. He's gonna corrupt politicians and become mm. like this, or
1: there that. You. That gradual corruption of himself as he faces up to the world becomes becomes something else that's all
2: you know because he is a fascist might as well make him a dictator you know what i mean (laughs) you know so yeah sure what were we talking about
1: post god knows god knows you and i blabbermouths
2: well i you know i back to i mean back to the you know there uh, there is an overriding there's an overriding thing in social media where that you know facts are you know people's opinions and the trends of people's opinions are becoming you know mm-hmm. much more it's just becoming it's becoming more and more dangerous frankly for uh, of I almost feel as though and I hear this a lot in the maker community this is my last hot take of 2023 and then we'll get the fuck out <laughs> you got to promise last that last hot no, take you can't promise that I listen this is my last ha- hot take of 2023 which is I feel as though I love the maker community, and I love them. And I, I, every so often you'll hear someone say, I was no good at school, I hated school, I didn't like right. learning. I, did, I found something that I loved, making this or making that. Mm-hmm. And this is a hot take. I'm Please, if the, you're offended by this, keep it to yourself. Don't tell okay. me about <laughs> it. So Dude, it's going to be good. I feel love as though if you... Go out on the limb and say, I hated school. I didn't like college. I didn't like school. I hated learning. I hated school. Then I feel as though you're not really allowed to have an opinion on important adult stuff. <laughs> Is that a bad hat take? Like, I hear stuff from people who are completely uneducated. <laughs> They make, they make very uneducated points on educational things that, you know, rational things, if you learn about perspective and you learn about rational things and you learn about how to listen and then think about it and be critical thinking, then you would probably have a different opinion. I feel as though there needs to be, you, you're not allowed to send your, if you don't like school, if you didn't like school, you don't like learning, you don't want to, I don't think you're allowed to have an opinion on, you know, intellectual mm. stuff.
1: I totally disagree. Uh, sorry, I totally agree. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, oh, you agree or disagree? No, I totally agree. Also, oh, I, I didn't like school.
2: Um. <laughs> well, but I mean, no, just, I mean, you know, I hear st- I hear some stuff from some people I know, and it's just like, bro, you told me on another some other podcast that you didn't like school. You should have liked school. You're not allowed to have this opinion.
1: It's not. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. It's like, oh, you've never learned anything about physics, and you're disagreeing with gravity. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like school, Jeff. I, was, I didn't I like school, school either. Uh, I think that was more of a social thing than a learning thing for me. But um,
2: can I can I just tell you why I tried to do it. as well as I could in school? Yeah, I ended up getting into a, a good college, and mm-hmm. when I got there, I felt as though I owed because I had friends of mine who were not going to classes. They were getting stoned. They were not. They were skipping classes. They were failing out. Right. I felt as though I owed my slot. I had to do the best I could because somebody could have taken my spot and done better with it. Maybe changed their lives. Maybe made their lives better. <clears throat> and the, the, the fact that I had the opportunity to go to the school and to, you know, not waste somebody's opportunity. Like I felt as though I owed it to that person who wanted to come, but they got rejected. Yeah. They could have done a better job and changed their lives. I owed it to them. So I became a much... I was a much better student in college than it was in high school because I felt as though
1: I somebody could do a better job than I could and I got to
2: make sure that I'm not wasting this posi- this
1: opportunity. Right. Yeah, I think that's very noble. I, it's actually why I never send a steak back. Because uh, if, <laughs> if a cow has died, <laughs> I got to eat it. Um, I think you're right. That too. Yeah, yeah. No, I... Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I would I would challenge a basic assumption in there though, that education is like a finite resource. And in a lot of places that's true because we we charge for education. But that 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 feels so wrong to me, you know, like um I like I think a lot of people come out of school and out of education without skills that are like hugely applicable to yes. the real world like why why don't we have like how do taxes work 101 right. one one? you know like everybody should learn that shit you know how, how do credit scores work how do you know like I it's, you know like if you get more credit your credit score goes up like what the heck that doesn't make any sense no one ever taught me that well, but here's true the, but here's the problem with people who are good at learning how to
2: people who are good at one thing who become really good at let's just say knife making they (laughs) become amazing knife makers they're lauded they're master bladesmiths, or whatever and there's this like unconscious voice that tells Mm -hmm. them just because you're good at this that means you're good at everything
1: yeah 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 (laughs) And that's
2: where experience you know and that's where when you said in the beginning everything's hard well if you're good at one thing that doesn't
1: mean you're good at everything nope Really? Nope. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, like I said, like I was, I was not great in school, um, for a whole variety of reasons. And I I really do wish that it had been more like go out into the world, experience a bunch of stuff. And when you want to come back and learn more deeply about a topic, the school will be here. You know, like we'll, we'll we'll teach, we'll teach you whatever you want to learn. Uh, we're going to teach you how to learn and then you're going to go out and get some experience and then you can come back and learn some shit. But instead, uh, you know, I think we like put young people uh, into the situation where you're like, you have to pick what your life's trajectory is going to be, what things you're going to learn, uh, what things are important. When like, I dude, I was 16 or 17. Like I was a fucking idiot. I had no idea. You know, you just don't know. And it's like universally true. Right. Um, That's yeah. right. Tell yeah. me. Aaron yeah. Goff.
2: What? Tell me what you're looking forward to in twenty twenty
1: four. Oh, dude. I am looking forward to having my workshop back up and running. That's that's obviously a real easy easy one. Um What else am I looking forward to? Twenty twenty four.
2: All right. So here's the next question while you're thinking about that. Are <laughs> yeah. is there any holiday traditions that you will be doing between now and the new year?
1: My partner's family has so many holiday traditions. It's a, it's a little overwhelming. Uh, I will be, you know, eating group dinners. Uh, we'll be probably uh, <laughs> group dinners. Cross country? That eating. what they call it? We will be yeah, eating group, group dinner. dinners. <laughs> would you like to? Would you care to eat dinner with me, Jeff? Uh,
2: we'll <laughs> I be... just like the fact that you call it. We'll be having group dinners. Group it, dinners. I mean, you're be, you're be having dinners as a family
1: yeah absolutely her her family is like wildly competent in outdoor things like she has relatives that are like internationally known in the commu- in the canoeing community and like so we go outside and they're like oh yeah okay you're on your cross-country skis for the first time ever you kind of look like what you know what you're doing let's go off off the road you know so uh part of my uh christmas tradition at the moment is just eating shit in front of relatives for a week or so just doing things so far outside of my comfort zone and being terrible at them
2: what what that's funny when you,
1: <laughs> that's that is funny i i like this time of year
2: because we have we're having a we're having some we're going to have a friend over who's mm-hmm. uh you know who's just lost their uh, significant other and we're looking uh, forward to sending some cheer his way Yep. We're looking forward to uh, – we always watch the polar plunge in our town, and that's always fun on the New Year's Day. And we do the Feast of Seven Fishes where we cook seven different kinds of fish for dinner one night. <laughs> that's fun. And we have Christmas yep. – we have a nice Christmas dinner, which is fun. And then we have uh, – my wife has this uh, These uh, very um, – she has these uh, – special meals we're supposed to have on the first day of the new year all these uh when you're when you're superstitious all these superstitious meals and that's always fun so it's i think it's a nice time of the year to wrap things up and then get very
1: excited for the new yeah. year yeah and that that i'm doing the same thing I, i'm a little one track at the moment because the workshop's just been uh, yeah of course eating up so much my my space but yeah i'm just I don't know. I'm I'm very happy, feel very lucky in the, the new house, and I'm just looking forward to like continuing to have that experience.
2: Last um, question. Yeah. Bring it. The triumvirate. Oh. Yeah.
1: Triumvir the Triumvir. The triumvirate knife. Yeah.
2: Triumvirate. When will I get my hands on one?
1: <sighs> Fuck knows, Jeff. Um, I'm just
2: saying, I'm just saying, I've been like <laughs> this is like the this is like the white whale. The triumvir is
1: the white whale. I need to get my hands on one. For me too, man. Like, honestly, the the process has been kind of wild. Like, I, you know, I went to cooking school <laughs> That's with right. the initial prototype. That was like six years ago, man. That was so long ago. Um, I think actually it's even longer than that. Holy miracle. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. I actually bought a whole other CNC machine um, during the process of the move. That I then have to restore because it's a piece of shit. But I am um, that machine's going to be dedicated to making the kitchen knife. um Very, I very much looking forward. Want
2: to, to be on the first batch? You are
1: already. Don't worry. I've got your name on the list. Aaron Goff, ladies and gentlemen,
2: <laughs> Goff Customs. Always, always good to hear your voice. You have an open invitation. I know, you know, no, if thanks, you man. ever feel the need to just, you know, you always have open invite. You don't have to wait for me. Anything you need. Guys, Aaron Goff is the guy who taught you how to be a knife maker. Show some respect. If only he had Patreon fucking 10 years ago, he would be, he would already have his shop up and running by now. Yeah, maybe. Oh maybe. my God. If you had a Patreon 11 years ago, you would never take anybody's phone call jesus christ <laughs> put that put all those, that yacht money put all those all those videos behind a paywall holy there mackerel go. golf customs like you'd be the elon musk of wherever the hell you are right now <laughs> there you go guys there's no there ain't nobody better than aaron golf golf customs guys i want to thank you for a wonderful year i'm very grateful uh, for the kind words you guys have said about the Full Blast Podcast, about my sponsors. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to be good to yourselves. I want you to try a little harder. I wish you all peace and prosperity and good health for 2024. I'm going to take a couple weeks off and then we're going to see what's what. I got We got guests coming up, but I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break, ladies and germs. Aaron, Happy New Year. I wish you peace you and too, prosperity man. and health. It's always yeah. great talking with you.
1: Thank you. Right back at you. And thank you for having me. You're the man.
2: All right, guys. Happy New Year.